Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everybody, welcome to God's Whole Story. My name is Ryan. I'm here today with Chelsea and Chris, and we are toward the end. Oh, just skip it over my greetings. Hello, Chelsea. That's Chris, do you, do you Chelsea, want... you're very outspoken today. Is there any particular reason for that? I am pregnant. <laughs> uh, also, I feel like you did not read the text. I was thinking maybe there might be a verse in here that like... you just wanted to... Yes, I'm going to talk over all of you all the time. <laughs> Be well, for a very confusing podcast episode. <laughs> we do have a woman passage to talk about today in case you haven't figured out yeah. our, uh, what we're insinuating here. We're also in a church, so... Chris is trying to land Waiting for the lightning got... to strike at any point. <laughs> before we got too far off the rails. <laughs> um, yeah, so... First Corinthians and some interesting passages here. Gifts of tongues and prophecy, women, and the resurrection of Christ. Wow. <laughs> Pretty easy stuff. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. Pretty straightforward. <laughs> What's Should be a short is? episode. <laughs> oh my gosh, probably not. I have to edit this thing. <laughs> What's I got? Well, we see the passage talks about prophecy and tongues, and uh, we were talking a little bit beforehand that it might just be good to bring a little clarity on this because sometimes when we throw these words around, we can have some very different interpretations depending what your background is. Uh, One of the things that Paul says is that tongues and prophecy are both valuable, but he wants people to speak in prophecy more. And he wants uh, them to do that all the time. He talks about tongues need to be interpreted. And so there's a couple different kinds of tongues and then probably just talking a little bit about what the... uh, prophecy actually is going to be helpful. So we, when we talk about tongues, we've got the personal prayer language that a lot of people are probably familiar with, that this is something you do in your own personal time. There's no need to interpret that. That's just between you and God. But we've got a public word in tongues, and Paul makes it very clear in this passage that when there's a public word in tongues, there should be an interpretation, because without it, nobody is built up, nobody is encouraged. Hmm. Um, so in a public worship setting, interpret the tongue. Uh, or nobody really has any idea what you're saying. Yeah. It's good that, I mean, just pointing out an obvious thing here. It's good that Paul lays these things out. I just, like, imagine what church would be like if we didn't have these things to go back to. Well, imagine <laughs> what it probably was like, and that's right. why he's laying this out, too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was probably a little bit of a circus. <laughs> On those Corinthians. Uh, and then he actually at one point even says the gift of tongues is for unbelievers, which that particular kind of tongues may in fact be an actual language um, because it actually seems like the unbelievers are either hearing their own language spoken or someone is speaking a language they don't understand, but they're getting it somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually even, I had one outreach team that that actually happened on. We had a girl who shared the gospel in English and the people heard it in Thai and got saved. So I think that was so pretty cool. wild. <laughs> it, it can in fact happen. I love it. Um, so those are the basic kinds of tongues that are being talked about here. And then this idea of prophecy is not so much foretelling the future like an Old Testament prophet. Uh, it's much more what we would probably call encouragement. Mm-hmm. Uh, just words that edify, build up, bring sources of encouragement. And that's the thing he says, we need to be doing this more and more and more, that church is meant to be a place where people are built up in their faith and encouraged. Yeah. So like, what would, what would an example of that be? Um, like I'm thinking of the person who's confused about what prophecy, like a prophet, like Amos <laughs> and what the church is supposed to be doing now. Like what's a good example of that? I think sometimes we just, 
it, it could take on the form of like a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, which we see other places in scripture. But I think sometimes it's even just you're in a worship setting or something and you feel that urge that you need to go over and encourage someone mm-hmm. that God loves them or you need to encourage someone that, um, and I just feel like God wants you to know like that you're on the right path or something like one of those kind of things, but it's not like saying, thus saith the Lord, you're going to marry so-and-so, right. which you shouldn't be doing that anyway, probably, but, um, <laughs> definitely not <laughs> right. Mr. Youth pastor, uh, just, just <laughs> check with so-and-so and see if they heard the same thing. Yes. Yes. Um, also if they heard the same thing, maybe still be skeptical anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's a lot more common than we feel like we're just, we sense something from the Lord. We submit it to them. And of mm-hmm. course, it's ultimately they have to determine if you have heard from the word, mm-hmm. the Lord correctly or not, because mm-hmm. we're not infallible like scripture is. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> I've always heard that the like prophets have foretelling and foretelling. Mm-hmm. So, and actually the more common one is foretelling is literally just explaining what God's word already says. Um, and I think, I think actually, I think a lot of the Old Testament prophets actually did that as well. Like they, they, they weren't did. just running around telling the future all the time. We were most <laughs> drawn to because right. because of who we are and how we're created. We're very drawn to like, wow, they knew the future. Uh, but they actually did a ton of just teaching people how to live lives that honor God. Um, and unfortunately for us, we're actually much less drawn to that. <laughs> it's like, Shoot. wow, there's supposed to be prophecy in church. Amazing! I can't wait to hear what I'm supposed to do with my life. It's like, well, now we do want to say like there is an actual like office of the prophet yeah. and a place where people do really function in that prophetic gift that often does kind of have some future things that that's probably a lot that is a lot less common than what Paul's talking about here mm-hmm. what Paul Paul's encouraging all believers to do this Paul's yes. saying like this this should be a part of your weekly you know communal gatherings where you're encouraging one another and so we're in no way saying that there's not an actual prophet that sometimes gives you a prophetic word that you then hold and and weigh out and see i i've received several of those in my life you know i write them down store them up and oftentimes like they serve as a confirmation for something that i've already heard or i store it away until i have that kind of that movement that i'm like oh that's what this was talking about and it but it doesn't just direct me to do something i've never thought of Hmm. um so we definitely want to make sure that we're clear that there is that uh, gift as well. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about women. <laughs> Chelsea's been waiting and for how that. They should Get be off silent. this prophecy thing. <laughs> um, Chelsea, how can a woman prophesy in church if she has to be silent? That's a great question. Sign language. <laughs> trying to figure out how I can say this without speaking. It's not going to work. Um, so this verse about women being silent during church meetings – uh, as far as I know, it's again with with the Corinthian church and how completely crazy things were there. It's a problem that Paul was addressing that women were speaking like out of turn. And I think I want I think I've read before that it's like false things they were saying, like they weren't biblical. Um, does anyone have anyone thing that you want to add to that? Because that's the pretty much extent of what I know. <laughs> fair to say that if you have something unbiblical to say, you should probably just be silent, man or woman. Probably just don't say it. And in the history of Corinth, there was a group of women false teachers that were infiltrating the church. They were saying things that we saw earlier, like um, Eve was the mother of all, like not even saying Adam was first, but Eve was first. So there was there was definitely some of that going on. This is also in the context of orderly worship. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways he is he he's encouraging for these disorderly false teaching women to bring order is that they need to be quiet. 
Um, I was, I did mention like, how do you prophesy in church if you have to be silent? It was kind of a little bit tongue in cheek yes. because everybody is supposed to prophesy. Right. There isn't distinguishing things on that. Other places when we see the spiritual gifts, there's not a prohibition against women using them. So I do think this is something that's very specific dealing with a problem. We see other places, Paul had women church leaders. Uh, Romans chapter 16 has a number of different women that are listed and they were probably leaders of the church. I just want to be clear that I ask a lot of my questions here in church <laughs> to a lot of people in this room, not just my husband. So again, waiting for the lightning to strike at any point here. <laughs> the, the key to the whole chapter is what what Chris is already saying, but the final is it's uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 40. Be sure that everything is done properly and in order. That's like the actual heartbeat of the passage mm-hmm. is that there is chaos ensuing Whenever they gather, they're drunk, they're having huge parties, they're screaming at people. Like it's it's not great. And so the the heart behind the whole thing is doing this well and doing it with order, uh, because of the the statement that it makes to the broader community. That's why he talks about like this is what should be done in church, this is what witnesses to unbelievers, this is what speaks to believers. Like there's a lot of order to be had here. My question is actually how do we determine like how come we can't say that about everything? Like, why can't you look at the book of Ephesians and be like, well, we don't have to care about that. That's all about order. That was for them. Like, how do we know that there is applicable things in this if we're also saying that this is for the Corinthian church? Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, that is one of the things that we always wrestle through is, you know, what is historical and, and very specifically dealing with the situation at hand and what is timeless. And I would say even with the historical things, there is a timeless element to it. And I think you're alluding to the timeless, that things to be need to be done in order. Another element of the timeless thing here is, you know, in the culture, we've mentioned the place of women, and they didn't have a lot of opportunity to be educated. So even right. some of the silence that was needed there or the Asher husbands uh, is not a statement of value. It's a statement of who was educated and who was not. So yeah. here, women are actually getting the value to be able to learn, which was kind of like countercultural of the day. So right. One of the timeless things here is that everybody should have the opportunity to learn the scripture. Everybody should have the opportunity to wrestle through these things and not be put at the disadvantage because of what their culture says. Yeah. Also, just, just, Oh, go ahead. Well, looking at these things and seeing how it lines up with the rest of Paul's letters too. So like when I think, yeah, the, the things that Paul says about women in other letters, like how does that align with first Corinthians? Because it doesn't, he doesn't change his mind. Um, and God doesn't change his mind about the value of women and what place they have in the church. So um, kind of like making sure, again, we're reading the Bible in its context and as a whole because it informs each other, these books. What were you going to say? Time to talk about the resurrection? <laughs> I actually forget what I was going to say. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> if you remember, let us know. Um, but the resurrection, I, I I was saying as we before we started recording that I'm reading through this and the thing that just keeps popping out to me over and over again is that the resurrection and well, the gospel doesn't stop at Jesus dying on the cross that the the resurrection is just the crux of the whole gospel. It's what actually brings us hope. And um, if we ignore that, we ignore all the things that God has for us. Paul says that pretty blatantly. He's like, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, what's the point? Right. Like sin hasn't been defeated. Death hasn't been defeated. Like what, what actually is the point? And I think you're right. that. um, it is so interesting that we focus so much on the death. And it's not that we don't focus on the resurrection, but we, we really need the package deal. We mm-hmm. need to always kind of present the death and resurrection. 
Um, and it's, it's meant to be a message of hope. Uh, I think Paul ends with this passage because it's, that's really the taste he wants uh, in their mouth as they, mm-hmm. after he's dealt with all the other issues in this, yeah. this church that really our hope is based in the resurrection. Yeah, definitely. We also have, if people who are interested in apologetics, we have our little apologetics passage in here where it talks about Jesus appearing to um, the disciples, the apostles, and the 500 of his followers. Um, just one of those things that we can kind of look back and be like, oh, Jesus appeared to that many eyewitnesses. Kind of cool. <laughs> and then, of course, it talks about the bodily resurrection. Uh, that's when people pass away, their spirit goes to be with, with God, which Thessalonians has already told us that, that when the Thessalonians were wondering where are dead in Christ, Paul said they're with God. But at the end, at the second coming, they will receive that new spiritual body. So uh, that's, again, a one of those mysteries of the faith that we will have, we will also experience resurrection uh, in our physical, or in our spiritual bodies uh, that will be resurrected at the second coming. First Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14.1 Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy of teaching, that would be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must play the notes clearly, or no one will recognize the melody. And if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know they are being called to battle? It's the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you are saying? You might as well be talking into empty space. There are many different languages in the world, and every language has meaning. But if I don't understand a language, I'll be a foreigner to someone who speaks it, and the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you, since you are so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives. Seek those that will strengthen the whole church. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Well, then what shall I do? I will pray in the Spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the Spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You'll be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. It is written in the scriptures, I will speak to my own people through strange languages and through the lips of foreigners, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So you see that speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy. 
But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they'll be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Let two or three people prophesy and let the others evaluate what is said. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Or do you think God's word originated with you, Corinthians? Are you the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I'm saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourself will not be recognized. So my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but be sure that everything is done properly and in order. Now let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you will still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless of course you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have already believed. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come, when he will return the kingdom over to God, the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. 
And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself, who gave Christ his authority. Then when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God, who gave his son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. If the dead will not be raised, what point is there in people being baptized for those who are dead? Why do it unless the dead will someday rise again? And why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, if there will be no resurrection from the dead? And if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. And don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character." Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh, one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and stars each have another kind, and even the stars differ from each other in their glory. It's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us, The first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, and then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. When the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, It means a lot to us even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the Old 
whatever that it happened. Um, if you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, we would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, you can either send us a DM or you could actually email us at podcasts at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you. And if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.